Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and we're in the eighth season of the Digital Health Today podcast. I'm happy to say that we continue to go from strength to strength. We now have an international team of ambassadors in cities and countries around the world who are helping to support events, spread the word about our great guests, and raise the flag for digital health. We also have some great new media partners that you can check out on our website and new sponsors. We really appreciate their support in making this platform and content possible. Our new seasonal format has received a very popular response, so thanks for your tweets and emails of support. We have four seasons per year and are completely booked in this, the eighth season, and we've already started to book up our ninth season for the first quarter of 2019. It's going to be a packed quarter with lots of terrific events and meetings, and we'll be producing some really great content to help you navigate the changes and opportunities in the year ahead. If you want to get into the 2019 schedule, I recommend you get in touch as soon as you can, and we'll see what we can create together. In this episode, we're talking about behavior change. We all know that behavior change is a key part to managing or reversing the effects of chronic conditions. But how is it done effectively? And how does technology enable people to make better decisions about their activity, diet, or sleep? Zooming out even a little bit more, are we really sure that technology enables better decision-making? Or does it help us to excuse our behavior, like treating ourselves to some carrot cake or a pumpkin spice latte, as a reward because we hit our 10,000 steps for the day? You know who you are. Well, here to share his experience is Dr. John Moore. John is a physician, engineer, and the medical director at Fitbit. John studied biomedical engineering and then medicine at Boston University. He was on a path to become a specialty surgeon in ophthalmology, but left his residency early because he became very interested in the underlying causes of chronic diseases. He earned a PhD from MIT, where he focused on the intersection of health psychology, learning science, and human-computer interaction. He went on to co-found Twine Health in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they developed an innovative and proven health coaching platform that empowers people to take control of their health to achieve better outcomes. Now, Twine was acquired by Fitbit in February 2018, and John became Fitbit's first medical director. John's here to share some insights about his experience with wearable devices, self-tracking, and personalized digital interventions to help improve wellness, disease management, and prevention. John, thanks for joining me, and welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. John, you've got a fascinating background that combines engineering, medicine, research, and entrepreneurship. There's lots that we could go into and explore, but I want to focus first on the on the nexus that led to what you're doing now at Fitbit. Tell me about what you were doing that led to the creation of Twine Health. When did you start working on this problem, and what were you working on? Yeah, I think I actually started uh, at MIT somewhere around 2007. And so it was pre-iPhone, pre-commonplace uh, cloud computing. So a lot of the concepts around digital health weren't, weren't uh, well-established at that time. I first began with some investigations about what we could do in the clinician's office to shift the, the power. Um, a lot of times you're in a clinician's office, it feels very one-sided. The technology reinforces that. So oftentimes the clinician's back is to you. They're typing away on a keyboard. To no fault of their own, it's, it's really technology design. It wasn't designed to, to involve the, 
the person in that conversation. So I started with uh, a thread of research that was about redesigning clinical computing in the clinician's office. The reason for that is right now, when people leave the doctor's office, 30% of people don't even fill their medication scripts. 50% of them don't take them afterwards. It's not because people forget. It's because they're not really tuned into the decision and it's not their decision. So that was an early thread of that. And then we proceeded and did a bunch of research with conversational agents. Uh, These are becoming quite hot today with the success of Amazon Alexa and Google Home. But we made actual characters that would talk to you and uh, converse about things in your health, particularly when you had a new chief complaint. You could talk through it with the agent, and it would help you try to find out, uh, you know, what what different paths you might need to go to get support. So it was designed to help uh, in the triage process in healthcare. And then that those two paths quickly led me to say, hey, this this technology could have some impact, but really, what makes a difference is what happens with people on a day to day basis as they're living their lives out in the world outside of the walls of that office. We're missing the boat of where we can have much bigger impact. Um, So I I moved on from just those technologies inside the office to think about what could we put in the hands of people on a day-to-day basis. Because it was pre-smartphone days, it was that wasn't an obvious decision at the time. So we started on some Nokia phones that had some touchscreens and then when the iPhone came out and when the, when the first Android phone came out, then we were following that trend in new technologies and always trying to build on the latest platforms to empower individuals to do more behavior change. It's really amazing to see the change in that 10-year period. You're talking about 2007. Everyone knows that was the year that the iPhone came out, but they actually didn't open up the app development platform for another year or so after the release of the iPhone. So it was another two or three years before a lot of businesses began to see the potential of apps and how they could be used. How far had you taken Twine Health before it was acquired? And what did you see as the next logical step that Fitbit fit into? Yeah, so our big successes at Twine Health were in the outcomes. We worked with a, a number of organizations across the country and had taken the research results that we produced at MIT and were able to reproduce them at larger populations and show that our behavior change methodology was quite generalizable, whether it was weight loss or smoking cessation or diabetes or hypertension. In the end, people are people. And medical challenges and behavior change challenges are hard no matter what. Um, so I think that was our biggest success. Uh, we had some, some partners who are getting above a 20 point drop in blood pressure in three months, which was, which was pretty unheard of and doing that on the scale of hundreds or, or thousands of individuals. So we did a great job at that. Uh, but where we were struggling with scale. I read in one of the press releases about the acquisition, you said something along the lines of that you were now at the starting line. After all these five years of work, developing Twine Health, coming into that acquisition, you said you had a new start. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I meant that we had kind of done the hard work to understand what to do and how to do it. It was all the prep work, all of the training. But really, from a scale perspective at Twine, 
we were making a great impact on the lives of certain individuals, but we hadn't really cracked the code to figure out how to get it out to bigger populations. So I felt like we'd done the training work, we knew what would work, and now we were at the real starting line to to run the marathon. I can understand what difference the acquisition made to Twine Health in the business that you had there, but what difference does the acquisition make to Fitbit? How does it change what Fitbit is able to deliver and where the business is heading? Yeah, I think before the acquisition, James, our CEO, had been quite vocal about Fitbit's desire to get deeper into healthcare, really to become more invested in the overall health of individuals and to empower them above and beyond the great work that had been done around fitness and wellness uh, and move more into hypertension and diabetes and COPD, et cetera. So I think um, the acquisition of Twine was a was a big jumpstart into that because it brought on a platform and a team who had been spending the past 10 years on that on those particular indications and on some of those other deeper health endeavors. So part of it was the the platform and the and the experience, but then part of it was just a nice inflection point to show everyone within the company that hey we're we're doing this and and it's been really exciting. People here are are pumped to to extend that scope of of uh, of support that that Fitbit technologies provide. That's really great to have the interest and vision for the company and that there's a path to take wearables beyond simply fitness trackers. But one of the big challenges as you move into the healthcare space is obviously around data and being able to prove things. And one of the clouds that's sort of been hanging over the industry is really around the fidelity of these wearables. What can you tell us about the sort of state of play in terms of the ability for these devices to give objective and actionable data and insights? Yeah, I think coming into to us joining the team and to me joining the team, there was a tremendous amount of exciting research that had been done with, with Fitbit wearables. I think there's about 600 studies to date that have been conducted. And I was really surprised to learn that the scope of research was much broader than I expected. I expected much more around fitness and weight loss, but there are actual studies around depression, around cancer recurrence, as well as weight loss and other fitness. Um, I think to date, what a lot of the research has shown is that it's not just the device, right? The device provides valuable data, but those interventions that think a little bit beyond that about the design of the behavior change, they produce really spectacular results. And other studies that are more passive in their thinking about how do we help individuals to interpret this data and use it? Sometimes, and I'm not speaking just about Fitbit research studies, but about studies with wearables in general, the results can can be a little bit more fuzzy. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the studies that have done meta-analysis across wide ranges of wearables, across lots of indications, have suggested that. They say that, well, there's a lot of diversity in the experimental design and certain designs tend to yield results and certain designs don't. So I think that's really where where it was coming into this, that there are definitely positive impact uh, that has been shown in a lot of studies, but it depends quite heavily on how you design. So going forward, I think there'll be a lot more focus and a lot more support 
that we provide and a lot more um, understanding in the industry that it's not just about the wearable itself. It's about the wearable plus the experiences that surround it and the kind of interventions that you create. And I think in, in the in the past couple of years, the number of research studies in this domain has grown exponentially. And I think in the next 10 years, it's just going to explode. We're speaking with Dr. John Moore, the medical director of Fitbit. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to keep users engaged with wearable devices and dive into the user journey. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Okay, we're back and we're speaking with Dr. John Moore, the medical director of Fitbit. John, before the break, we were just talking about the fidelity of these devices and how they can be used to facilitate behavior change. But one of the key things is people need to use these in order to have any impact at all. So how do you keep people engaged in using these devices and even encourage them to upgrade to the next device when it becomes available? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's something that we've invested uh, quite a bit in in the, in the recent history, but that we have a lot more to give in the, in the next bit. So in the recent history, we've released our, our community features around the community feed, which now has about 20 million active users on it, making it one of the largest health and wellness social networks out there. I think that social support and social accountability around fitness, wellness, and deeper health endeavors is one of the most powerful drivers of behavior change. And it's also one of the most powerful drivers of engaging people for longer periods of time. So this is where, in talking about those research studies, I was alluding to the fact that going forward, many of them won't just be thinking about all the data that you can pull off of the devices, but thinking about it tightly interwoven into the experiences that connect with them. We'll certainly always uh, bring to bear new sensors and, and new accuracy in the things that we sense. But it's connecting people with peers, doing challenges with friends and family, um, giving people more insights on top of their data that, that starts to make this much stickier experience. It's not just one of self-tracking and quantified self, but it's one of actually being part of a community and working together to reach your goals. So that's where we are now and some of the recent investments that have been made in that. But I think that going forward with the addition of, of Twine Health to the team and some of our capabilities, we'll start to provide another level of guidance on top of the traditional self-tracking data. So we've got the social network, we have the challenges, we have the self-tracking, but start to blend in more support to help people along the path to particular behavior change, whether that's weight loss or getting more active or quitting smoking, uh, and doing so with digital tools that provide what I would call a scaffolding or a framework to help people walk through that day by day. And then on top of that, for certain individuals who either uh, really want to participate in it or for whom it makes economic sense, also provides human support from a health coach on top of that. And it's becoming quite clear uh, in the literature that this hybrid model of having a human expert yet friend, right? That's kind of what a health coach is, is there's someone who has some expertise, but they're not a 
true deeper medical professional like a doctor, but they are a professional in really understanding behavior change and how to support you. But they also come at it with a very friendly approach, much more accessible, and they're there for you more on a day-to-day basis. So now having this spectrum of capabilities where there's a social network and there's challenges and gains, but there's also more serious uh, scaffolding to help support you on this behavior change journey and then layer on a human health coach when applicable. This becomes this very sticky experience when people get results quickly through this, then they realize that they can really succeed and it gives them the motivation to stick with it. So it creates a feedback loop. You quickly get results. You realize that it's easier than you thought. You get more results that builds and builds and builds. John, this sounds really good on a top level as you've described it, but I want to break it down in terms of who really can use these devices and how they would go about it. Can you describe for me maybe a couple of the ideal users and how you can bring the benefits of Fitbit and this Twine integration to bear? Absolutely. This is something I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about, that the number one biggest indicator of who can use this does not have to do with particular demographics. It has to do with whomever is either one, motivated to make change in their health, or two, has felt disenfranchised by healthcare in the, in the broader picture. So it doesn't matter if the individual has, uh, is, is in their 80s or 90s. It doesn't matter what uh, socioeconomic background someone comes from. We are all people. We all struggle with health and wellness. And in our research, we've shown that everyone is capable and that a wide scope of people is, are interested in these types of interventions. Um, The trick is, how do you let everyone know that there are these new types of interventions? So people know about Fitbits and they know about self-tracking, but people don't know as much about the health coaching part of it, right, that that Twine brings to the table. And they they don't know what that means and and what it means for them and if it, it can help them. So I think the biggest trick there is to get this story out but uh, the ideal person is is just someone who feels like they need some extra help in managing their health. Uh, it's as simple as that. And then over time, I think we can help more and more people who haven't reached that contemplative stage of change, right? Because they'll see that others have been successful. They'll have more understanding of what's going on. And it'll be easier to drive towards people that are pre-contemplative, meaning they they just haven't built up the motivation yet to to change their behavior or they haven't come to the realization that they need to. Well, we know that people are at different levels in terms of their understanding of their health and their understanding of technology as well. What's the sort of user journey that someone travels where you begin to say, okay, here's where you are. You're the 35 or you're 55 or you're 75. And here's how we can help you understand your health better. Yeah, absolutely. I think right now the experience is such that that it provides a, a light facade for you to get started where it asks you a few questions and set some goals and getting started. And, and when you get in there, your dashboard gives you the high-level picture. Uh, and right now the approach is really that when people see that and start getting curious, they can dive into the deeper details and 
see the data and uh, and dive into charts and look for correlations. But some of the more exciting things that we're doing now, particularly if you dive into our sleep feature, you'll see a lot more of what, what we call insights, which are, are, are combing through your data for you and starting to surface up things that, that the technology sees in your data about your sleeping patterns or how much you're sleeping and then correlating your, your step track into your sleeping, et cetera. And I think that's going to be a way to help pull people in, uh, let them see that simple facade to get started. You'll have a certain group of people who just have a natural curiosity and dive in and others who just stay on that surface. But with insights, it will pull people in and, and start to get them curious about the deeper parts. So don't overwhelm people with too much up front, but also open up the door to their curiosity once they're ready to dive deeper. And how would users find out more about the health coaching capabilities? Who has access to that? Yeah, that is is something that is is new now and is mainly in the enterprise space. So at this point, most people learn about it through through their employer, through their health plan, etc., uh, where we've done work. And it's not something that we've exposed to the consumer space yet. So people will have to keep an eye on on connections they might have in the enterprise world uh, in order to gain access to some of these capabilities. You know, we spoke earlier about the fidelity of these products and the breadth uh, and number of studies that are going on using these devices. Where does clinical research stack up in terms of your priorities at Fitbit? Are you guys really putting a lot of effort into that? Yeah, I think it's something we're going to lean in and, uh, and support more. My, I'm the first medical doctor on staff here, here at Fitbit, and in my role as medical director, part of it is to interface with researchers out there and, and share ideas and provide support um, in thinking about how this technology can be adopted and, and studied. And, and I think that uh, we will provide more and more ideas about investigations that they might want to do to fill the gaps of the valuable that we're the value that wearables can bring. Where's the best place for listeners to go to find the most information from an enterprise perspective about your health coaching and about some of the capabilities from uh, in terms of clinical research and so forth? Yeah, so it's the Fitbit Health Solutions website. It'll be a destination for a lot of this information. Fitbit Health Solutions is the enterprise arm of Fitbit uh, that currently works with about 1,500 uh, enterprises across the country, including employers, health plans, health systems, uh, that a lot of people don't know about. We have this extensive uh, set of, of enterprise competencies and, and customers. So Fitbit Health Solutions will be your destination to learn more about, about these capabilities. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. It's healthsolutions.fitbit.com. And I see a lot of great information on here and also a video that's at the top of the page you can play. Uh, so I encourage people to go take a look at this and learn more about these great solutions and how the health coaching aspect of Twine is really being integrated into a complete package at Fitbit. And of course, they can go over to Fitbit.com and learn more about your devices and apps that you have available. So please do go check it out. John, listen, I appreciate you coming on the program and sharing these different insights with us. I have six questions that I'd like to ask every guest. Can you spare a few more minutes for me? Absolutely. The first question is, what is a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? 
Yeah, I I don't have, uh, I'm not a particularly a quote person, so I don't have one that someone else has said, but I guess, I guess there's an idea that always drives the decisions that I make personally and, and more so even professionally. And that's that there, there are many, many possible futures that, that could arise. And it's up to us to choose which future we want. And the best future usually requires the hardest work. And I think this is especially true in healthcare that if, if we don't dive in and, and put in the effort to steer it the way our, we want it, it is so complex that it is going to end up being even more complex. So it's, it's just the work that we put into it to build that, that better future. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? I think the, the most important thing on this front is to focus on what matters to you and what you think can truly make a difference. There, there are a lot of fads in healthcare and there's a lot of drive, especially um, in, in trying to get your company invested and get it out there. There's a lot of drive to follow certain trends or fads that are happening as, to, as opposed to what you intrinsically really think is going to make a difference and what you truly care about. Focus on that because it, it's going to be a rough road. You have to put in a lot of work. Make sure it's something you truly believe in rather than just the latest trend. What's a book that you recommend to our listeners and why? There's a book called Deschooling Society by Ivan Illich. And Ivan Illich is spelled I-V-A-N-I-L-L-I-C-H. It's a quick read, only about a hundred and some pages. And you, you can read it in a day. And it's, it's quite profound. It, uh, Ivan Illich was a philosopher, wrote this book in the 1970s. And it's mainly about education. Uh, rather than, than medicine. But I think his commentary on how to empower individuals and communities with technology, as opposed to how to build technologies that create more, more control by the industry over individuals, is something that inspired all of my work. Uh, in the end, we need technology that empowers people on the front lines to make a difference. We have a chronic disease epidemic the only way we're going to correct that is to create an epidemic of wellness and better health. And that starts with the people on the front lines. What's a piece of technology that you recommend to our listeners? Well, this, this is one more for fun. I recommend they work, look at the latest in water balloons. I was at a picnic this weekend, and I was blown away by these, these things. And probably other people know about this, but you can load... 40 self-tying water balloons at a time. You just put it on the hose and fills them all up at once. A little mortified by how many pieces of trash there are. So then I went looking online and there are these other new water balloons that you fill them with water. And when you throw them, the water just leaks out and then you fill them back up. So my whole life does not revolve around medical technology. <laughs> There's some other fun things out there as well. If I give you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, how would you invest it? So I think folks like Fitbit are, are on the, the track and we're going to crack a lot of this behavior change piece of the puzzle. I think what's coming up next is new types of technologies that empower people to detect problems in their self earlier. And I'm not sure what it's called, but I heard this talk about a technology path that uses your immune system as a computer. So essentially, you, you take a drop of blood every month or so, uh, just a tiny drop, 
and analyze the composition of white blood cells in your immune system. And so this is something that lends itself to a home diagnostic device or home screening device, really. And essentially, your, your immune system is a computer. It has memory. It changes its composition. It does computation. And the idea here is if you, if you look at it every month or so, if something dramatic changes, then you can pick it up really early. And it turns out that cancers and rare infectious diseases can have really profound effects on the composition of your immune system way, way, way before you ever kind of, you ever have any clinically noticeable symptoms. So for example, uh, detecting a breast cancer could happen when it's just a few cells as opposed to an actual lung. So this is uh, an area that I'm trying to track down and watching for when, when there's enough research around it to, to build a product. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. And I especially love it because I think it's something that's going to end up in people's homes that empower them. That's a great recommendation, John. Actually, you should subscribe to this podcast because in a few episodes, we're going to have a guest talking about that very subject, through about the early detection of cancer through monitoring the immune response rather than detecting the cancer cells themselves. It has significant implications on how we even think about cancer and implications on health systems and insurance. It's it's pretty amazing stuff. So thanks for suggesting that. Awesome. John, is there anything else you'd like to say to the audience before I let you go? Just thank you very much for having me. It's been a great conversation and uh, look forward to listening to some of your future podcasts, uh, such as this one that seems to be very aligned with my interests. John, well, thanks so much for joining me and being a part of the program. All right. Have a good one. Well, there you have it. That was Dr. John Moore, Medical Director at Fitbit. Now, after recording this episode, Fitbit officially launched Fitbit Care, which is a connected health platform for employers, health plans, and health systems that combines health coaching and virtual care through the new app. It's still only available to people enrolled in the health coaching component of Fitbit Care through their employer, like we talked about on the program, but they've integrated some more advanced health metrics, including blood glucose, blood pressure, and medication adherence. They also announced that they're working with Humana Inc. for Humana's employer group segment, and that means that more than 5 million Humana members will potentially be able to access Fitbit Health Coaching or Wellness Solutions. So if you're a member of Humana, if you have an employer who offers the Fitbit Care platform, be sure to check it out. Now grab all the links to everything we discussed in the show notes for this episode by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 72. And while you're there, please be sure to pop in your email address to join our community and stay up to date with all of our interviews with industry leaders. Also be sure to check out our sponsors. We couldn't create this content for you without their support. When you see them, be sure to tell them that you heard about them here on the Digital Health Today program. You can follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at DHealthToday. That's all for me for now. I'll speak with you soon in episode 73. And until next time, keep on innovating.